so, so much, God. Lord, we live in a world where sickness is on every corner, God. If it's not cancer, it's a heart attack. It's not a heart attack, it's a stroke. If it's not that, it's Alzheimer's, God. It just seems like every corner. And now, God, I look at what's going over in China, and they talk about it creeping back. I'm not surprised it's going on in China. They pass laws against Christianity, God. I'm not surprised. That you would allow things there, but Father, it creeps its way in, and even the innocent suffer, God. But Lord, I'm thankful that we can come and share testimony that reminds us that God is greater than cancer, and that you're greater than heart problems, that you're greater than Alzheimer's, you're, you're greater than all things, all difficulties, all problems. And God, I thank you for the reminders, God, even what a message for me if it was for no one else Sunday that you may not always move my mountain, but if you don't move it, you'll give me strength to climb it, God. But you're going to be there for us either way. God, thank you for the assurance that we have in you, Father. I thank you that I don't have to say I hope I'm going to heaven or I think I'm saved, God. I thank you that I have a, a no-so God with a no-so assurance and a no-so promise. And God, I thank you for this church, this group of people, Lord. I pray you'd move in here tonight. I pray you'd speak through this letter that you wrote through the hand of your apostle, God. I pray you'd give us something that when we walk out would make us better, God. I pray it would give us some encouragement. I pray it would help us to be bolder uh, in the work of the Lord and the things that you'd have us to do, God. I pray, Father, you'd help us to be more pleasing to you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we'll continue here in our study, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If y'all remember the first couple of verses, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at where Paul talked about reconciliation. He was trying to reconcile things. There's this little small group of troublemakers in the church over there at Corinth, and he already dealt with them one time in the first letter, but then we looked and started last week kind of verse number three where Paul, after offering some, some reconciliation, Paul kind of confronted them a little bit. He gave them some, some things that they could expect if they continued to, to take their actions. And, and Paul even let them know if it's a, a fight that you're looking for, I am coming. I'm just sending some letters right now, but I am coming. And if you're looking for a physical fight, if you're looking for a physical altercation, I assure you it's not going to be what you're expecting. It's going to be a whole lot different when I get there. Uh, I'm not just a man of some letters here. Uh, there, there's some backbone to what I'm saying, and I'm coming, and I'm going to deal with this one way or another. So tonight, verse number 6, we're going to continue looking at the confrontational issue. We didn't get past that. It really goes all the way down to verse 11, which is what I read last week. I just didn't have time to get all the way to verse 11. But he says, beginning in verse number 6, that having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed, that I may not seem as I would terrify you by letters. For as letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such an one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. So here in verse number 6, the Apostle Paul, thank you, you can be seated. I'm going to try to, to look at, well, man, I'm going to try to look at all five of these tonight real quick if we can. But, but he gives them a warning on those who continue to insist on making trouble within the church on being those who sow discord within the church here at Corinth. And Paul, 
makes his reference to the majority of the people who are on his side, as well as the minority of people who are the troublemakers. Those in disobedience, he says, I am ready to avenge. If you want to force my hand, I'm ready to do it this way. Paul has no fear when it comes to dealing with any human being. Paul has no fear of man whatsoever. Paul knows the apostolic powers that he has. He knows what he's capable of. Now, you remember here in Paul's time, apostolic powers are still a very real deal. We're within 30 years of Pentecost right here, and the apostles still have all of this power. The apostolic powers were very important in the building of the church. They were very important in the writing of the Word of God. They were very important in dealing with those who would oppose the church or oppose the things of Christ. If you remember Ananias and Sapphira, when they came in, they, they came before Peter, and they remember they had sold some land, right, in the book of Acts, and, and they came, and they said, okay, we sold it for this much, and here it is. But the reality is they lied. They kept some of the money to themselves. And, and he walks in, and Peter says, why did you lie? When the lamb was yours, was it not yours? When you sold it, was it not okay for you to sell it? If you wanted to keep out some of the land, some of the money, and give some of the money, was it not within your power to do so? Is that not okay? Why would you come in here and lie? Dead as a wedge. Three hours later, his wife walks in, having conspired to the same lie. Peter asked her a question. She tells the same lie, and he said, The feet of the ones that buried your husband are standing at the door. And they kept, those are apostolic powers. The, these men had incredible powers about them. The, the apostles, as they died out, as each one died out, so did the apostolic powers. God did not renew that. He did not renew apostolic powers. He doesn't use apostolic powers today. And any of these guys that you see on their webinars and ministries and all they do, they call themselves apostles so-and-so or official nutcases as far as I'm concerned. Because they can't be an apostle unless they've stood in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord has spoken with them and given them these apostolic powers, which he has not done, and they have not seen him face to face. So they can't be an apostle. But any of the less, remember back in the Old Testament, just a couple of examples of what powers on men would have been like. In the Old Testament book of Numbers, you had Korah, Dathan, and Abiram who opposed Moses. In Numbers chapter 16 and verse 23, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, speaking to the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Moses rose up and went unto Dathan and Abiram. The elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got up. From the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram on every side. Dathan and Abiram came out, stood in the door of their tents, and their wives, and their sons, and their little children. Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works. This is three people that them and their families are opposing the anointed of God. They are opposing Moses, who is the chosen vessel of God. Moses said, Here's how you're going to know, for I come to do all the things, before I've not done them. Of my own hand, verse number 29, if these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain to them, and they go down quick into the pit, then you shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. Came to pass as he made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, 
The earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up in their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. That is no different than the power that the Apostle Paul has at the touch of his fingertips. That is no different than the apostolic power. Now, Paul knows this. He knows that the power that he has is to be used primarily for the edification of believers and not for the destruction of his enemies. The reason God took that out is because he couldn't trust people like me with it. I would be zapping people at red lights. I would be zapping people with a smart mouth. See, see, he could only give it to the ones that he could trust. It's obvious that he can't trust me with a lot of stuff. But, but as we saw last week, Paul knows that these powers are to be used for the pulling down of strongholds. They're to be used for the pulling down of Satan, the pulling down of powers, so that lost sinners might be saved and so that saved people might grow closer in their walk with the Lord. So Paul understands how these things are to be used. I have no doubt that the apostle Paul would have heard of the story when um, some of them came and, and they were rebuking Jesus and some of the Samaritans were talking down about Jesus and trying to tear him down. And, and Mark and John, I believe it was, came to him and said, Lord, you want us to just do like Elias did and just call fire down from heaven and consume them? That's not a wisecrack. That was like the real deal. They really could have called fire down from heaven. They really could have consumed all those people for what they're doing. But Jesus said, the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So, so the power is to be used for good things. Paul understands that. Not only is he brave in his apostolic powers, he's just a brave man, period. Paul has been beaten nearly to the point of death. He's been brought before the high priest. And, and here after he's been beaten... The high priest in Acts chapter 23, verse 1, had him hit in the mouth. Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I've lived in good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by to smite him on the mouth. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, that ticked Paul off. He, he says, God smite thee, thou whited wall. For thou sittest out to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. Paul could have had him killed then, but he didn't. He held the judgment for God. Even the ones around him said, you talked to the high priest that way. And Paul had some things to say about him after that, but I don't have time to preach that part tonight. But Paul has no fear of man, especially this little handful of troublemakers over there at Corinth that are causing problem in the church. So Paul begins by offering this reconciliation and then he comes and he offers this stern warning but in verse number seven he says do you look on things of the out after the outward appearance if any man trusts to himself that he is in christ let him of himself think this again that as he is christ even so are we christ in the first half of the verse paul clearly points out their mistake you're looking at the outward appearance you think this is what you got to deal with you, you, you think this is all, this, you, you're, you're summing me up by the outside. If you remember last week, we looked at the mistake. We looked at David and Goliath. We looked at what a mistake it is to summon things up by the outside. Goliath looked at David, this little run, his appearance and says, Am I a dog that, that you would come after me? 
He looked at the outward appearance. But can I tell you, Goliath is not the only one who made mistakes. The anointed of God also made the exact same mistakes. Remember when God sent Samuel to Jesse's house to anoint the next king of Israel because Saul had dropped the ball and God said there's going to be a new king. So, so he goes there and, and he gets to Jesse's house and he's going to anoint the next king. He's looking for the next one that will be the king there. He's all ready and then Eliab comes in. Jesse brings in eight of the nine sons. David stays out in the field. He brings one in and his eldest comes in. He's a man's man. He man, specimen of a man, good-looking, tall, dark, handsome, strong. Boy, this is the perfect king. And Samuel's ready to anoint him. And God says, uh-uh, 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 not so fast. Don't, don't anoint him. That, that's not the one. It's the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So Abinadab comes up, another tall specimen of a man. Samuel says, oh, yeah, this is the one. God says, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Don't look at the outside. That's not the one. That, that don't anoint him. So then Shema comes up, another specimen of a man. He says, surely this is the one. Uh-uh, uh-uh, You ain't got it yet. You, you keep looking at the outward appearance finally when they're all gone and there's none left in there he, he says to jesse is this all your sons and he basically says i got a little run out in the field got a little boy out there taking care of a handful of sheep but he ain't no king he's just a little boy he says i ain't leaving here i've seen them all go get him so they go get him and bring it in and he looks and he sees his little boy and god says that's the one that's the one I, can, can i tell you all of the elder ones had been at that battle for days before David got there. And they hadn't done anything. God says that he looks on the heart that looks inside. So not only does Samuel make the mistake of looking at the outward appearance. But remember when David got out there to the battle and Saul looked at him? And David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defiles the armies of the living God? Looked like nothing was going to be done. David said, what will be done for the one? He says, I'll go out there. So Saul looks at him. And he says, thou not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him. Thou but a youth. He's a man of war from his youth. So Saul, remember Saul's the anointed of God, right? Saul also looks at the outward appearance and makes a mistake. But, but then David's brothers, when they heard about it, they came. Matter of fact, Eliab, his eldest brother, when he heard his spake to the men, Eliab's anger was kindled against David and said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom is thou those left those few sheep in the wilderness? He tries to belittle him by saying, You're not even a real shepherd. You don't even have a whole flock. You just got a few little sheep out there in the wilderness, and you can't even take care of a little handful of sheep. Who'd you leave them with? Why are you even out here? And he goes on, he says, I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down when, that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? God saw the heart from the beginning. Everybody else looked at the outward appearance. So Saul says, okay, okay, what do we have to lose? We're, nobody's going up against Goliath. I've got the same soldiers and none of them have for days. We obviously ain't fixing to win this battle. What else am I going to do? He's the only one dumb enough to go out there and die. 
So I guess we'll let him go. So Saul says, well, let's at least make him look like a warrior. Let's make him look like a soldier. Let's put my stuff on him. Let's put Saul's armor. Let's put Saul's helmet. Let's give him a king's sword. Let's, let's at least make him look like a warrior when he goes out there so he'll look like he went down as a valiant warrior, not some little boy stepped on like a bug before a giant. And he puts all that stuff on David, and David looks at it, and then he, he takes off everything that was Saul. He took off everything that was humanity. He took off everything that was self-confidence. He took off everything that was self-worth. He took off everything of worldly value. And then he went in the power in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he won the battle. That's where we got to get to. Take off all the worldly stuff. That's where Paul is at. He says, I'm not coming in what you see. You're looking at the appearance of things. Paul is saying to his adversaries, be careful, boys. Careful. I know this is all you see, and this ain't much, but this ain't what you got to deal with. Careful what you say here. I'm telling you, I'm coming now. Paul makes it clear to him, I don't want to have to use this power. I'm not looking to destroy you. I don't, I don't want to take you out. I'm not looking to harm you. Because of Christ in me, I would rather reach you. Because of Christ in me, I want to be a blessing to you. I want to help you. I want to help you step over. I want to help you be what God wants you to be because of Christ in me. I'm not looking to destroy you with this apostolic power, but understand that when it comes to this church, when it comes to this flock, I'm going to do whatever it takes to protect them. So don't sell, you, don't, don't sell me short. So Paul says, Paul says, don't make a grave mistake. Don't make a grave mistake. I'll put up with whatever personal abuse you want to give to me. You say whatever you want about me, all your personal attacks, all of your insults. You, you do whatever you want about me. But when it begins to affect God's children, you're going to force my hand. When it begins to affect the church, when it begins to cause some of God's children to fall back and have difficulty in their service, when it begins to withdraw people away from their service to the Lord, don't force my hand on this, boys. Because what I have compared to what you have, you have nothing. You have nothing. He says in verse number 8, For though I should boast somewhat of more of our authority which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for yourselves, I should not be ashamed. He's doing his best to let them know, I, I, I'm not looking to destroy you. He goes on in verse number 9 and says, That I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful. But his bodily presence is weak, his speech contemptible. Let such and one think this, that such as we are in word by letters, when we are absent, such will be also indeed when we're present. Paul says, I, I'm writing letters to try to help you. I'm writing these letters to you to try to help you understand. You're causing a problem in the church. You're sowing discord. You're creating issues. I'm trying to help you understand that what you're doing is wrong. And I'm going to stop it one way or another. I'm not going to let it just keep on happening here in the church. It's kind of, I was thinking... Even as I was just getting ready for in the shower, I, I was remembering back kind of, a, I guess, an illustration of 
of the difference of what Paul's trying to tell them about these letters. Growing up, man, we had a little bit of everything. We had pigs and chickens and dogs and horses and cows and stuff. And if a dog got in the yard, a dog wasn't supposed to be in our yard if it wasn't our dog. And mom or dad, either one would go on the porch. Get from him. Anybody know get from him? Y'all work with me now. Anybody know get from him? And if that didn't work, get from him. And if that didn't, it got, you, you better get from him. And, 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 you know, because the dogs know they ain't supposed to be where they are, and they know they have a natural fear of human beings, then they're going to run, right? You know, some dogs just mark that tree so they don't realize that ain't their territory. And some dogs' owners might have forgot to tell them that they were supposed to be scared of them. And some dogs have teeth, and they show those teeth. Like, who are you yelling at? Then it becomes a race back to the front door. Now, the only chance that dog has of winning is to beat me to that door. Because I'm like mom and daddy. You better get from here. Get, get out of my yard. Get out. Y'all with me? The only chance that dog has of winning is to beat me back to that door. Because if I get back in the house and shut that door, when I come back, it ain't going to be no, like, you better get, I ain't going to be burning no extra energy. It's going to be, shh, shh. you better get out of my yard. And that's the last warning. Because just in case this one don't work, I got one on my shoulder and a pistol in both pockets. One of them's going to shoot. I'm going to win. You have no challenge. You have no competition. You have nothing for me. I came out here. I'm giving you fair warning. I'm giving you every chance to get out of my yard but don't come up here like you're going to take it on. The Apostle Paul ain't running downstairs hollering, you better get from here. He says, you better get. You better leave the church alone. Get your heart right with the Lord or leave these Christians alone and go find somewhere else to play your game. But you mess with this church, I'm going to take you out. You mess with God's children, of which he's appointed me an under-shepherd over. This is a church that I started. Most of the people in this church are people that I led to the Lord. These are people that God used me to tell them about Christ. I'm the one that prayed the sinner's prayer with them. I'm the one that saw them come to a life of repentance. I'm the one that saw old things pass away. I remember when they were over here dealing drugs, and now they're right here. I remember when they were sick in the gutter, and now they're right here. I saw where they were. I've seen where they come from. I see where they are now, and I'm not going to let somebody like you take them back to where they were. Paul says, you can say what you want about my letters, but I'm telling you, you better understand when I come, it's going to be on time. And I'm not writing a get from him kind of letter. I'm writing a you better get because I'm going to be there soon. And I know a couple of times before I said that, and the Holy Spirit constrained me that I didn't get to come then. But you rest assured, the Holy Spirit's let me know I'm coming. I'm coming. So here, here's the reality of it. The Apostle Paul has the authority to take them out. But it is his desire to see them saved. See, it's kind of like the same for us. If a troublemaker in a church, somebody sowing discord in a church, they're, they're no different than those out there in the world. We have to love the person. It's what they're doing that we have to hate. 
But in the case of the sowing discord, it has to be put to a stop. It can't be allowed because God says it's an abomination, so it can't be allowed within it. But we have to love the people. And that's where the Apostle Paul is at right here. He says, look, I love you. I just hate what you're doing. And to be honest, the Apostle Paul knows, honestly, I don't know of a better way to say it. So he has, the, he has the power to send them to hell. Because if he takes them out and they're not saved, that's where they're going. He knows that. Our, our job ought to be the same to that lost and dying world out there. We have to hate the sin. We have to hate the immorality. We have to hate the filth. We have to hate all the stuff that goes on. We have to love the people. We have to try to love the people past the sin. So you can't reach people if you don't love people. There has to be a heart of compassion. It's the same with people within the church. People, people that are troublemakers, people that are so in discord, they have to be dealt with. You try dealing with them in a loving way, and if they won't hear it, I'm sorry, they've got to be sent on their way. But they can't, allow to, they can't be allowed to sow discord amongst God's children. You know, there's an awful lot of young Christians that are driven away by those things. There's a lot of Christians, they're not necessarily young, they're just still on milk. They're, they're just still drinking from the bottle. They, they may have been saved a long time, but they've really not dug into the meat of the Word. They, they've really not gotten a good hold to it yet. They've really not gotten a good bite. They're, they're not eating steak, roast beef, mashed potatoes for dinner. They, they're still on the milk. They're still, they've made it up to some formula with cereal in it. But that kind of stuff will run them out of a church. And before long, they'll be right back to where they came from because the world will pull them right back. So it's up to us to protect the house of God. It's up to us to protect the young Christian. And Paul says, I'm coming. I'm giving you a chance. I'll give you a chance to pipe down, but understand I'm coming in the power of God. You and I are the same. We may not have apostolic powers, but we do have the power of God on our side. We do have the anointing of the Holy Spirit if we ask for it. And if we deal with a loving heart and deal with people the way that we should, God can use us. God can use us to reach the lost, and God can use us to make a difference in the lives of people that need some help. Amen? Well, let's take a few minutes and pray right here at verse number 12. Paul kind of changes again a different direction. It would be a really good place to make a change and pick up there next week. Certainly all these prayer requests, if we could pray for them. David Hickox um, is really needing our prayers right now. If you pray for him, that the doctors would intervene there, help with the swelling on the brain and some, some issues from the steroids. Um, David, David's had a rough few years anyway. We certainly could use our prayers now. Um, pray for John's niece with that surgery coming up a week from Thursday. And for the cancer, also for um, his other niece with the cervical cancer. Miss um, Brown's brother. All, all the prayer requests that, that were brought up. Um, they, they count on us crying out on their behalf. One of the things that I did at last week's men's prayer meeting, this is just something good for us, but I had everybody write down three or four prayer requests that really mattered to them, something you need God to do. And then I had everybody pick a prayer partner out of the group. So there's 40 men that makes 20 pairs. And I made them accountable for each other. I said, I want you to swap prayer list. I want you to spend really the next 30 days as a challenge. But I want you praying for your prayer partner's request. And here was the deal. We didn't share those with the group. You only shared them with your prayer partner. So if you don't pray for them, nobody else will. 
calling accountability. These people that are sick, these people in the hospital, we're accountable. We are their prayer partners. We're what they've got. We're, we're, their, we're their hope. We're, we're the one that God says, you can come boldly into my throne room and make intercession on behalf of others. So I, I know they do because I certainly appreciate this church. I appreciate you. I appreciate your heart. I appreciate your prayer warrior attitude. I appreciate the fact that you're willing to come in on a Wednesday night and pray. But then every morning when you get up, pray. And every evening, pray. And to pray for the sick and pray for those in need. Pray for the broken marriages and the wayward children. Pray for people in financial difficulties. Pray and for people with job situations. People just need our prayer. We are intercession on their behalf. We pray for them. What an honor. What an honor it is that God has given us to be able to pray for somebody else. And he'll hear our prayer and answer it, meet their need, and then give us a blessing for praying for them. (laughs) What a good God. What a good God.